This is Tyler Evans, your co-host. Yeah, we're in episode 20. And we figured this would be the last episode of the year because, I mean, we're ahead of the game. And um, I know, like, it's the holiday season, right? People are busy going to Christmas parties, getting ready for Christmas. And so uh, we thought this would be episode 20. And to close out the year, I'd like to welcome a very special guest who's overcome a lot of challenges in life including being a life coach, uh, teaching people about mental health, sexual trauma, and so many other stuff. Please welcome Pei Carter. Pei, how are you doing today? Good morning. I didn't know this was the last episode of the year for the podcast, so I feel very honored. <laughs> yeah, Good yeah. Good deal. Awesome. Yeah, we, we, we thought it'd be the last one because uh We've gotten a lot done, and like I said, it's it's a holiday season, you know, so we want to give people a break, and Tyler, we want to break too, I guess, right? Yeah, we do, Yeah, and of course, we still have our radio station. We have a radio station called Real Variety Radio, folks. If uh, you want to tune in, you can download the Get Me Radio app. You can go to our website at listen.realvarietyradio.com, and we have a clubhouse called The Sailor Show. We have a clubhouse okay. club called The Sailor Show. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Well, on to the podcast. So, uh, hey, let's get started. Tell us about yourself. And because it's obvious I looked at your website. I'm very fond of your website. You're about to publish a memoir. Uh, so just, just give an introduction. Sure. So, hi, my name is Pei. I live in Wisconsin with my two kids and my partner, Chad. I've experienced a lot in my life. I am 36. I just turned 36 this year, and I have personal experience with military sexual trauma. I have a variety of medical issues. There's a very long list of it, uh, as well as domestic abuse. I'm a veteran as well um, and part of the LGBTQ community. So I I've spent the last 10 years doing a lot of advocacy work, uh, sharing my stories and just trying to raise awareness about the communities that I belong to. I've been asked for many, many years that I should write a book, but for some reason, putting your stories on paper for other people to read is a lot more intimidating than speaking in front of people. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. So I was place this year to really work on it. So I'm very excited uh, that it will be released next year. Right now I have a Kickstarter campaign that just started to help uh, raise money for some of the costs. You can back it and get signed paperbacks, all sorts of things. So I've experienced a lot and I'm just really happy to be here and help raise awareness in whatever way I can. Oh, great. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. I look forward to uh, 
to you telling us about all the experiences you've been through and how you've overcome a lot of challenges. So first, um, we want to thank you for celebrating. For, we want to thank you for serving in the United States military. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, where did you serve? I was in South Korea. I was a broadcast journalist for the Armed Forces Network Korea. So I was initially stationed down in Daegu, and then I went up to Camp Yongsan, which was in Seoul. So I did everything from uh, hosting a radio show, doing radio commercials, TV commercials, shooting news stories, editing news stories, everything but anchoring the news. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, you're right up our alley because that's what we wanted. We were into broadcasting as well. We have a radio station and um, of course, we have a podcast of the Armed Forces Network. How do, how do military personnel listen? Do they have radios or what? Yeah, so when I was stationed in Korea, that's the only, you know, that's the only thing I can personally comment on. But yes, we were actually the only radio station in the whole country that was in English. So it was, it was really neat. It was cool. I got to go experience a lot of stuff, travel around the country. It, it was fun. Oh, great. Wonderful. So, uh, I mean, I know it's, this stuff's very sensitive. Uh, you, don't, you, 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 you only have to share what you feel comfortable. So yeah, unfortunately, you experienced a lot of um, sexual trauma in the military. I mean, how did you deal with that afterwards? So I, um, I joined the military for a few reasons. I actually grew up all over the world, and then my parents decided to settle in Wisconsin, which was very difficult for somebody that spent their formative years overseas in countries like Malaysia, uh, things like that. And so when I, I was very lost as a kid trying to fit in when I really stuck out. <laughs> um, and when I was about 16, 17, my dad gave me this letter. My grandfather, who um, on my British side, my mother's from England, had died when I was young. And he handed me this letter and inside was a 12 page letter to me done on a typewriter where he shared all his experiences during World War II. He served as a gunner for the British Army. And that was part of why I joined the military as nobody else in our whole entire family had served. I thought doing so would kind of honor his memory for me to feel more connected to him. I loved music. I really, my whole life as a teenager had all that teenage angst. <laughs> So my whole life, you know, revolved around music. So I was very excited to find out that I could go into the army. I'd be able to travel like I used to and be able to, you know, do music, right? Interview celebrities, things right. like that. Uh, fortunately, um, during advanced ind individual training, I was assaulted by somebody I considered a friend, another service member. So it was six months after my 18th birthday, five months after I graduated high school. And that kind of set the tone for the rest of my service when I tried reporting, I was interrogated for days without any sort of console or advocate. Um, and at the time, this is mid to late 2000s, military sexual trauma wasn't a thing that people recognized. Uh, the only people with PTSD were men that served in combat. So I, when I went to go to try to get help because I wanted to continue to serve and honor my grandfather's memory, I was misdiagnosed as bipolar and forced on up to four medications at a time. So it was very, very difficult for me to try to manage all that and, and do the job and do what I wanted to do. So I was discharged. Luckily, I got an honorable discharge, which is not common for MST uh, survivors. And it was a wow. really big adjustment 
because I did get diagnosed with PTSD right away. That bipolar was thrown out um, when I started seeing a civilian doctor, but nobody had any experience with a service member or veteran that had military sexual trauma. So at the same time that I'm trying to receive care, I'm also educating therapists. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I started doing advocacy work in 2012. I don't know if you've heard of the documentary, The Invisible War. Uh, no, never have. Okay. It's a really great documentary about military sexual trauma. And it came out in 2012. And it just blew my mind because I didn't know how many other people, how many other victims were out there. And I had been very silent because when I was discharged, I was told, you know, you're not a veteran, you're an embarrassment to all the women that served before you, et cetera. Uh, so I didn't consider myself a veteran. I didn't know that there was other people that this had happened to. And it was just like this switch, this light switch, um, because I was in shock. Like how, how does society not know this is happening? How is this continuing? Like it's been going on for decades. How does nobody know? And like I said, it was a switch. And a couple months later, I was in Washington, D.C., talking to politicians that represent Wisconsin and Minnesota, trying to promote some legislation that was or bills that were being drafted to help uh, support victims of military sexual trauma. So. Oh, wow. So now you so they they thought you had bipolar disorder when it really was PTSD and um after you were discharged, you began advocating for good mental health services, and that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at, I mean, and uh, today you're a life coach. You've also, uh, you've all, you also mentioned on your website you've had a, a lot of other chronic illnesses and disabilities. What are those? Sure. So for a long time, I had just PTSD, which I don't mean just to minimize it, but that is one condition, right, that, that you deal with. And back in 2017, I was in a really good place. I had all these coping skills. I had a service dog. I was hiking. I was walking. I was, I was managing things really well. Uh, but then I got shingles at the age of 29, and it wasn't that bad. I had two rashes about the size of half a dollar coin, one was on my side or on my spine and it caused permanent damage to my autonomic system. So all of a sudden I went from being very able-bodied to physically disabled. My body suddenly couldn't regulate things like heart rate and blood pressure when I changed positions. So standing up, uh, crouching down, walking for extensive periods of time, standing for too long, I would get really dizzy and pass out. So I couldn't, you know, a lot of people when they have anxiety or they're stressed, they do a mad cleanup of their house, right? I couldn't do that. I couldn't tie my son's shoes. I couldn't go for walks. I couldn't go to the store. Uh, so it was very, very difficult uh, during, so that's a diagnosis of postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is a big mouthful. <laughs> Oh yeah, big mouthful. <laughs> big mouthful. So basically, you know, saying your body doesn't regulate things when you change positions. Um, and I have a separate diagnosis of dysautonomia, which basically means dysfunction of the autonomic system because the shingles also damaged my internal thermostat. So my body could no longer regulate temperature. 
So for example, I don't sweat at all during the summer. I often don't realize when my body is overheated. Same thing, similar in the cold. Um, you know, when you get too cold, your body is supposed to bring your heat to your core to protect your vital organs. Mine sends them to my fingers, my toes, my legs, wherever it just feels like sending them at that moment, not where it's supposed to go. So as you can imagine, that was really, really, really hard to struggle, you know, to deal with. Um, and then during the, the course of treatment for that, I found out that I have a tissue connectivity disorder called Ehlers-Danlos. There's lots of subtypes of it. Um, my daughter and I found out my daughter also has it, uh, the hypermobility type. So all of my joints from my neck down to my toes are hope, uh, hypermobile. I didn't know when I went into the military that I had that. So as you can imagine, running on concrete during ruck marches, uh, doing ruck marches really wrecked my lower joint. So my hips, everything down. Uh, so I've had both my feet fused. For example, I have degenerative damage in both my hips and my lower back probably need a hip replacement in about eight to 10 years. So before I'm 50, which is really nerve wracking. Uh, let's see. I also have a generalized seizure disorder, fibromyalgia. I have a eating disorder called avoidance restrictive food intake disorder, which is uh, a sensory eating disorder, nothing to do with body image or body weight, but I struggle a lot with taste, sight, texture of certain foods. And then a few months ago, I was diagnosed with being on the autism spectrum disorder. So I have a list. <laughs> what? You've, you've been on the autism spectrum disorder when you didn't even know it? Because that's, that's what's coming out, you know, nowadays, many, many people who who have autism all their life they're just now getting diagnosed yeah um, there there was a lot of um things that i you know thought i was doing masking because of my ptsd that's where it was really like i thought it was just part of my ptsd until i was diagnosed with a sensory eating disorder and then i really paid attention i started paying attention to my sensory issues and thought, all right, like, let me just go see if I have a sensory processing disorder. I didn't think I was on the spectrum. I thought maybe I just had a sensory processing disorder, but I am on the spectrum. So. Yeah, that's, that's part of autism sensory, sensory issues. So I guess you seem to be high functioning autism. Yep. You know, it's all a spectrum. I, I really, I don't like the term high functioning, uh, to be honest, because I feel like it is negative towards people that struggle more than I do. Um, yeah, I think I it's, you. it's on a spectrum. So, yeah, yeah. but I think, I think part of it too, is, is that Ehlers-Danlos, it's a tissue connectivity disorder. So fragile skin, poor wound healing, basically faulty collagen in the tissue and what is our body made up of tissue right so comorbidity between Ehlers-Danlos and other conditions practically all the ones that I have have a comorbidity with that tissue connectivity disorder including being on the spectrum so wow so what caused you to have like all of these physical conditions such as the fibromyalgia, the uh, shingles and all of that? Well, I was, I was still part of the generation where they had the chicken pox parties. There wasn't a vaccination for chicken pox at the time. So I, I was part of the chicken pox parties. If I'm not sure if you knew, if you know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I was, you know, I was, I could get shingles. Um, 
I think I got it traveling is what my doctor and I thought, but it just caused that permanent damage. We think that the Ehlers-Danlos kind of set me up and then it was just the shingles that triggered it. So that's probably the baseline of how I got it. And then it's just, as you go on, you know, you just figure doctors figure out, figure out uh, what your health issues are. A lot of them are pretty considered rare or uncommon. I would say that my fibromyalgia was triggered because I was um, in an abusive situation. So stress, stress can stress, really, yeah. yep, stress can really trigger it. And now that I've been out of that situation for quite a few years, I I only have flare ups when I'm very very stressed. Um, so yeah, because you've also uh, had a even through. Um, domestic situation as well gosh you've even been through divorce and honestly I don't I don't like divorce it's not good I mean a, a marriage is is there for a reason to last for a lifetime but at the same time I do understand that you know people should never stay in a marriage that's completely unhealthy and that's damaging so you know in the end if that's if divorce is what's best, it's best. I mean, that's why you you know, well, the way I see it, a couple should not get married fast. They should know who they're marrying beforehand. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, uh, so like, how did you overcome like all the other hardships, like divorce and uh, all the other? Uh, all the other hardships you mentioned? Well, when you are suddenly stricken with a diagnosis that completely changes your life, right? Like I said, uh, PTSD is is mental, right? It, it doesn't affect you generally physically. So all the, like I said, all the coping mes- mechanisms went out the window. Uh, my service dog, even that I had, had to go to another veteran because I couldn't even regulate myself, let alone, you know, give commands to a dog that went everywhere with me. So I was, I was in a very dark place for a long time because I wanted to be the person that I was before, before I got sick. So I wanted to try all the medications, all the alternative treatments, all the Eastern medicine, And every time that one of those didn't work, I would just sink lower and lower and lower. And when you're too, when you're in a relationship that says, um, you know, that your appointments are a hindrance or you are faking it, trying to ride the system uh, because I have a hundred percent disability rating from the VA. So I have compensation for that. So try to say, oh, you're riding the system or, you know, it wouldn't be that bad if you just did this. And so that like just added to it. Um, But at some point, you know, especially when I got out of that situation and I was in a lot of therapy, you know, I realized to better take care of myself, to be a better parent for my kids, to be a better daughter, to be a better friend, I really needed to start paying attention and and taking care of myself. So what does that mean? What are my body, excuse me, my body limitations, right? Do I need to try to force myself to go hiking because I really miss hiking where I'm going to get sick for days and pass out? Or do I realize, okay, I can do a walk early in the morning for this amount of time or this distance? And I think too, one of the big things that my body has taught me is really just to slow down and listen. 
Yeah, you just everybody. Yeah, we're in this capitalistic society, right, where people are expected to work themselves to the bone, right? That right. productivity equals the worth of somebody. And I think every right that's doing that at some point, their body's telling them, hey, this is too much, right? You need self-care. You need to slow down, whether it's, you know, getting headaches or, or whatever it is, right? Your body is telling you, hey, slow down. You're overworking right. yourself. And being forced to do that, right? It, it's, it's, it's changing. It's like, wow, all right, this is how I'm reacting to this. This is what my body is telling me. I need to do this. Yeah, um, sure do. Yeah. And, and realizing too, within that, within the therapy and all these realizations that my worth isn't, doesn't equal my productivity, right? I don't have to be out working a full-time job, making my health worse, right? No. Because it's already having medical issues then to try to um, force myself to work a job where I'm masking, where I'm getting dizzy or whatever um, is, is really stressful. And so understanding that understanding that I'm not broken, that I am worthy of love, that I am a great parent, even if I have all these medic, you know, medical issues, even if they do limit me in ways that sometimes are very frustrating, I have the tools that I need to navigate that. Yes. And you know, you don't, don't put so many demands on yourself, especially demands that society uh, gives you. You just do what you can to get back. Mm -hmm. And that looks, that looks like so many, so many things, right? You don't have to be working a job no. in order to community. And so my way, my way of doing that is by speaking, by writing this book, by doing this podcast is getting out there and helping people to understand what it's, what the challenges are for different communities. Now, like, I, I, I was just going to say quickly, like for me, I don't look disabled, right? No, I no. look young, all of all of my conditions that affect me physically are invisible. And that's very challenging for people to understand. So going out there and say like, hey, I have disability plates, because my body can't regulate temperature going from an air conditioned car into the lovely humidity and high 90s that we find ourselves in in the summer in the Midwest and then into an air conditioned store. I get really dizzy. I'm at a risk of passing out, having heat stroke, et cetera, and saying, hey, disability plates, for example, aren't just for people that have trouble walking or elderly people. Like there's so many reasons why somebody can have disability plates. Because, yeah, because there are these disabilities out there that aren't visible and like uh, a lot of people won't believe it because it's not obvious mm -hmm. right away. And so, yeah, wow, you're writing a book and I see you have a master's degree and a bachelor's degree as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. And aren't you completing another degree by 2025? Um, I've, I've temporarily withdrawn for that just so I could focus on my book, but yes, I've, I've been working on a doctoral program as well. Uh, now is your book out yet or, uh, is it going to come out soon? It's going to come out, uh, about May, 2023. Oh, awesome. So and it's done. It's done. The Kickstarter campaign, um, is to help just finish up with editorial costs, publishing costs, uh, 
if you go through a traditional publisher, which I didn't want to do, they actually get the rights of your book and you get a very small percentage of the royalties. So I am wanting to, um, so I'm working with an indie publisher so that I can maintain all my royalties for my, for my book and have the rights to it. So. And uh, your book is about how to find purpose in life, correct? So it is my memoir journaling, sharing my journey of what it was like going from able-bodied to disabled, um, how I struggled with that, and then the lessons that my body taught me. Wow, beautiful, wonderful. And uh, we'll be able to find your book on Amazon, Audible, all the book Mm -hmm. services, right? Right. Yeah. And you can go to, you can go to Kickstarter right now and find out more information. Just the name of my book. So the name of my book is uh, my body's not your dartboard. So you can go to Kickstarter, for example, and search for that and you'll get all the information. Wow. Wonderful. Wonderful. And uh, um, so besides your book, what are your future goals? Uh, I, I know you want to inspire the world, right? But Other than that, what are your main future goals in life? I would love to. So a couple of years ago, I did a storytelling theater project where I connect, where I collected stories of military sexual trauma from all around the country, from people of different ages, different situations. And I put it into a theater project that was performed in Wisconsin and California. It's called Speaking Out Why I Stand. I would love to, one of my goals after I get done with this book is to do a similar thing um, with people with disabilities and put that into a book. So a a collaboration, a a shared book uh, with stories from different people. Yeah. And and maybe Uh, Tyler and I can be a part of your book and vice versa, because Tyler, tell, tell our guests what we're doing. Hello, Tyler, you there? I think he's, he probably left. You're here? So Tyler, tell, tell, tell our guests what we're doing together. Aren't we writing the book? A uh, memoir, a uh, memoir actually. Um, we're basically going to talk about our lives, about how, you know, we've overcome, you know, adverse circumstances similar to what we're doing with our podcast, except we're doing it in writing form. Yeah, because basically, basically what we want to do, you know, along with our podcast, we want to inspire others through our writing as well. That's right. Because yeah, uh, both me and Tyler, we're like almost brothers together. We're both blind and we have very similar interests and we're on this journey together, right? Yes, we are. And to me, it's not about, you know, the money or anything like that. And, you know, that, that'll probably come in the future, but it's about inspiration. It's about doing what you love. Exactly. You see, that, that's the key. Like, if you don't love what you do, it's not a career. It's just another mm-hmm. job. But yes. if you love it and you put your mind to it, it becomes your career and not only a career, a hobby. That is a life. It's not only a hobby either. It's a lifestyle. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, you go. <laughs> I like that. that. Yeah. yeah, it does. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how I feel about my advocacy work. Um, you know, but I, I, I consider it a, a privilege that I am able to do so. I know that there's a lot of people with disabilities, with military sexual trauma that don't have a rating or don't DI and can't do so. So I love going and talking to people and spreading awareness. And every time I do, it doesn't matter what topic it's about. I always have somebody coming up to me afterwards, you know, saying, thank you. I thought I was alone. I haven't met anybody else that you know, is experiencing this, or I haven't thought about talking about it to other people because I didn't think that they would understand. And yeah. that's what I just feel like my purpose is. And I will, I will go places and I, I see an accommodation issue. I will raise it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I cannot Absolutely. keep my mouth shut. Like, Hey, this button doesn't work or, Hey, you've got somebody kicking the door opener. Like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there you go. Well, so do you uh question um sure. what's what's your service dog used for is it for emotional support is it because i don't think you're blind are you no no i'm not and i no longer have uh my service dog but it's so an, an emotional support animal is basically it's it's not an animal that's trained it's it's for right. housing if you want to live in a place that doesn't allow pets and say you have some sort of chronic illness, mental health, and having a pet, because a pet can do a lot for a person emotionally, right? Mm -hmm. So an emotional support animal is, is just an animal that you can have in the house that provides emotional support. So a service dog is a trained dog that um, has tasks to help navigate a person's disability, right? So you can have mental health service dogs. Um, my dog, for example, would uh, let's see what's a couple of commands that he had it's been seven years since I had him um, and had to let him go but he would do block where he would stand in front of me because everybody has a different idea of what personal space is and when you have social anxiety or PTSD uh, you don't want people getting too close so for example he would stand in front of me so I would have that space um, I, I had a lot of hypervigilance and so I, he had a command where he would be at my side, but facing the other direction. And he would let me know uh, if somebody was coming up behind me so I could allow myself more space. Uh, he was also trained to help me find exits if I was having an anxiety attack. So yeah, so Mo is a service dog. He was great. Oh, wow. Good. <clears throat> so, so you had to give up your service dog? Yeah, unfortunately, when I got the shingles and, and I got really sick because I couldn't, you know, dogs are great, like trained service dogs, we have to be able to give them a command and you have to not only be able to give them a command, but service dogs aren't robots, right? They are, are still going to mess up sometimes or get a little distracted. And if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Right. And so yeah, when yeah. you can't, when you're getting dizzy standing up, when you're, you know, crouching down, you're dizzy all the time in public, you can't give a dog commands one when you should be right on time when you need to. And if they're, you know, doing something that they shouldn't be. So say, for example, he's supposed to sit right next to me or walk and heal, right? Walk right next to me. And if he's getting a bit too far ahead or a bit far behind, like I can't, I couldn't, you know, stop him. I couldn't give him the commands because I was, I was so focused on making sure I didn't pass out or, you know, so he did get placed with another veteran. Um, 
he, he loved working. Anytime I got his vest out, he was so happy and ready to go. And I didn't have the heart to turn him into a family dog. I just, I didn't have the heart to do so. So he was placed with another veteran. I was able to help kind of with that transition. So it it was really good. It was hard, but it was the best decision that I, that I could make at the time. Yeah. And now of course you have two kids. It seems to be, you've been able to, even though you've ever, you've had a lot of these challenges, you've been able to raise two kids successfully, which is awesome, wonderful. One sec, folks. Yeah. One sec. Oh, are you on your show? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so uh, you've been able to raise two kids really successfully, which is wonderful. Well, and I think too, um, you know, having disabilities, it gives me a different perspective than I had before. You know, I see the world differently um, because I was one of those people just, you know, we're taught as a society and sometimes, you know, how our parents raise you that disabilities are something you could see, right? Right. There's something you could see. Um, Something I talk about in my book too is, you know, I was part of that where it was, you know, you'd see somebody that was disabled and it's, you know, you'd have your parents say, don't look, don't stare, right? And so, it's not even encouraged to do a smile or a wave. It's to completely like ignore their existence, which carries over wow. into adulthood. When I was doing, um, I was I was doing an interactive workshop on disabilities, and I had a woman say to me that she wishes she wished that all disabled people, when she was out in public, could just be in a corner so she could pretend they didn't exist because looking at them made her uncomfortable, and so. Wow. realizing no and you know it's it's that's what I found that it comes down to like ableism and ableist language it comes down to fear right one disability is a biological fact and that is very scary for some people right very scary and then just also not having any experience with disabled people what it means to be disabled what that is like Um, you know, so even, so with my kids, uh, my daughter has the same tissue connectivity disorder as I do, but it's not a disability for her. And a lot of what we are doing is preventative care so that she doesn't, for example, go into the military and have, like I was having my first foot fused at the age of 21, right. And needing a double hip replacement in 10 years. Um, I want to try to prevent that for as long as possible, um, And so being able to go into her schools and educate other elementary kids on disabilities and what that looks like, uh, I'm glad that I have that opportunity, that I see the world differently, and I can relate that to my kids. Uh, Wonderful. And now, do do you use a wheelchair now, or can you walk? Uh, So I have a walker and I have a wheelchair. I tend to use my walker more in the summer. So it's one that has a seat. So it's not because, say, I have trouble walking, but so that I have a seat if I get dizzy. Because walking down an aisle in Target, for example, right, there's no chairs. And so during the summer, uh, which is when my POTS and my dysautonomia is very exasperated because of the heat and the humidity, I tend to use a walker. And then I, if it's really bad, I use a wheelchair, but then also with my joints, if I'm in a lot of pain, I use a wheelchair because I would prefer not to have a double hip replacement for, 
<laughs> as long and prevent that for as long as possible. So to help slow down the wear and tear on my joints, I, I will use my wheelchair. Wow, wow. Now, how do you know like when to go inside if it's too hot or too cold since your body can't regulate temperature? So I one is, you know, paying attention to the weather channel, right? And what the temperature yeah. is, and then looking at what we are wanting to do. So for example, in winter too, uh, there's a lot of times where I can't go sledding with my kids because it is too cold. I can do it on some days. I can't do it on others. Same with, you know, walking through holiday light displays. Like I tend to find ones that I can drive through or are more accessible. Uh, but yeah. yeah, just paying attention to, you know, what, what we're doing, what the temperature is like. I also go off of, uh, what other people's bodies are doing. So if I'm with someone and their face is getting really flushed or they're sweating, that is a big cue. Um, I, I give my friends, my partner, and even my kids, the, the permission to get very, uh, <laughs> just because I get so stubborn, because I'll feel okay, right? I'm out there and I generally feel fine. Uh, so I give them permission to really push, hey, you need to drink like Gatorade or something with, you know, water, yeah. you know, you're get, you look like you're getting hot. And so I give them permission to get really kind of forceful with it because I'll be like, I'm fine, you know, it's all good. And then the next day it's a whole lot of problems. So yeah, I, it's a I, balance. It's really tricky to, it, it's, it's really tricky. It is. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'll be ever also the, the work I like that you're doing as well is you're, you're fighting against the US education system. I think I saw on your website, which is it's not the best, as you know. <laughs> I, I, well, I, as a student, I've had to educate um, professors on my accommodations. Even with my ADA accommodations, I, I have professors that really push against it because yeah. they're used to people that are blind, people that are deaf, people that have a learning disability, right? They're not used to people that need accommodations for other medical issues, especially, um, you know, if you're yeah. neurodivergent. And so during my, my master's, especially, um, I had to really advocate for myself. And then the neat thing was when I was in my last year, I had incoming students who found out about me who have medical issues and accommodations and were coming to me for mentorship, which was, which was really, really neat. I didn't even know until um, I was in my undergraduate program and I started having seizures in my sleep, but we didn't know what it was. I was just very fatigued during the day, which mm. makes it really hard to go to class, to concentrate, to turn things in. And I was connected with disability services. And at the time, I didn't know that, you know, you could use disability services for other medical issues than what oh. I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, right? And so it was very eye-opening to me. And my, my advisor, there was the one that really taught me how to advocate for myself. Um, and so that's, that's what I just carried over for the rest of my you know life to here I am today is because that advisor helped me advocate for myself within the education system. So yeah, so yeah, that's what it's all about. You just have to advocate and fight for what you need. Um, now, do you have a podcast yourself or, uh, or not yet? 
No, I don't. I did for a little while, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is I a lot of work. It is yeah. a lot of work. And when you have some other things that need to take, you know, pr that need to be prioritized, that's, uh, that's what, that's what I did. But I love being on shows and I probably will in the future because I miss being on radio. Radio is so much fun. Yes, it is. Radio okay. is a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 Well, well um, I know you're limited, I know you're limited on time, but, um, uh, so I want to, of course, get to closing remarks, but first, do you have anything else to share? Um, I think we covered a lot of things. Um, you know, just remember for the people listening that no matter where you are in your life, you're not, you're not broken. That's I right. One thing that just came to me a couple of months ago that I really realized is even if, even if I wasn't assaulted, even if, you know, I didn't have my medical conditions, I would still be a different person than what I was a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Like we're always, always changing, right? Oh, yeah, I don't think anybody's in their thirties and was the same, like the same person they were in their twenties or as a teenager. So oh, no. I think that's really just important to point out is we're always changing. We're evolving. And no matter what you're going through, that doesn't mean that you are, less worthy of love or healthy relationships with other people, whether it's family, friends, and self-care isn't selfish too. It really isn't. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a good message there. Well, so um, if you don't have anything else uh, before we do our customary wrap up, Tyler, do you have any other questions? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, if, if you ever want, you're more than happy to be, uh, what do you call that? A contributor to, to our podcast from time to time, if you want. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I have well, lots you, I can talk about. We're in the process of developing monetization strategies and affiliate programs. And so, oh, cool. Yeah. I would love to, we'd love to continue working with you and all other guests and see how we can change the world together. So, and, we, and like I said, we have a radio station too, so you can be a part of that too. It's called Real Variety Radio. That's nice. right. Real Variety Radio. I would love radio. to. Yeah. So, and, uh, so yeah, I think we are good. So Tyler, let's ask this question together. You know what it is. So we ask all the guests. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, so Tyler, let's try and say it simultaneously. Okay, so what advice? What advice you would give? you give? To anybody, to anyone who, who is struggling, who's struggling, who, right feel, now. who feels who have no hope. Yeah. Hope is there, even, even when it seems like it's so far and that light is dim, you can, you can get there, look for it. Um, you know, I, I talk about in my book about how sometimes when you're just faced with adversity, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be something big. It is so easy to just kind of crawl under the covers, pretend the world doesn't exist and get into that hole. But there is hope, there is light. It is possible. It's, it's not gonna be that way for forever. You're exactly. not going to be in this dark place forever. That's right. Uh, That's right. And no, cause uh, um, it's never too late to accomplish what you want in life it may look differently than what you thought it would but yeah yes yes exactly well 
Hey, thanks so much for being on Hope Without Sight. Your story is incredible. Everybody, when, when her book comes out, please get it everywhere you get books. And what's it called again for the guests? My Body is Not Your Dartboard. Oh, yeah. My Body is Not Your Dartboard. It's a great memoir. Well, everybody, yeah, give it up for Hey, Carter, everybody. Episode 20. Woo! Woo! (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hope Without Sight with Sailor Cooper and Tyler Evans and got a lot of takeaways from this podcast. We hope you feel renewed, inspired, and encouraged like you can just carry on and conquer the world. Please hit the subscribe button on all platforms and tell your friends and family to do the same. And in the meantime, blessings to all.